We're going to open in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 this morning. Galatians chapter 5, if you're using a house Bible, it's 974. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." That is the ministry of the law. And grace, my fears relieved. And that is the ministry of the gospel. And in the beauty of God's wisdom, he brings together both his holy demands that manifest our utter sinfulness and his perfect provision of righteousness in the person of his son to break us and to heal us, to cause us to find in Christ our life, our hope, our righteousness, to be born again. What a joy it is to be free from the fears of God's condemnation. We have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, fear of condemnation for lack of obedience to the will of God, the law of God. We have received the spirit of adoption as God's sons and daughters that spirit by whom we cry out to God, Oh, Father, Father in heaven, we have received the indwelling spirit of Christ himself. That spirit sets us free from the law of sin and death. This is the gospel. Not that there's anything wrong with God's law. It is holy and just and good. Rather, there's something very wrong with me. The very law that promised life has produced nothing in me but death as I respond to it. Indwelling sin provoked by God's good law has deceived me and by it slew me, produced in me all kinds of unrighteousness, covetousness, pride, anger, disobedience, so that I cry out, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer comes back from the heavens. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus, delivers us from the law, from the condemnation of sin and judgment that we deserve. Oh, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's gospel is that we're set free. Amen? This is a message of liberty, this book. It's a message that reminds believers that we have been set free from the law, from its condemnation. But we are free to live, ironically, we're free to live a life of slavery to God. We are free from the law to be married to another, as it were, to produce fruit 
in keeping with Christ's life in us to the glory of God the Father. And he prunes and works in us so that more of Christ is produced in us. The longer you live as a Christian, that fruit comes to bear more fruit and more fruit until everyone stands back who's watched our lives over the course of our Christian existence and says, glory to God the Father. He took a fallow ground and he made it bring forth fruit to his glory. What a, what a masterful God. Amen? Don't you want people to say that looking at your life after being a Christian for 45 years? Oh, what a great God he has to take a man like that and make him into a person who bears such fruit of the Spirit. This is evidently a work of God in him. Oh, I pray that the work of God in us, the fruit of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, will be such that no one will mistake that it is the work of God indeed. We've been set free, but set free to walk in the Spirit so that we may not be enslaved to the desires of the flesh any longer. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen? And what is that freedom? That freedom comes when we, with unveiled face, behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, and we are transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes by the Spirit. Amen? It comes by the Spirit. This is why Paul, at this point in this letter, is making so much of the Spirit and the ministry of the Spirit of God in the life of a believer. What a grace it is that God doesn't just forgive our sins and then say to us, okay, now you're on your own. Do better this time. No, what he begins in us by his Spirit, he continues, and he brings it to completion. Those whom he justifies, he sanctifies, he glorifies. The Lord is so gracious. I just praise him that his work is is faithful from beginning to end. And I just want my heart to be more in tune with that work. I know you have come this morning. If you're a believer, you've come this morning with that same desire in your soul because the Holy Spirit of God has put that desire in you. Amen? You say, Lord, I want Christ to be formed in me. I don't want to go on living according to the flesh. Lord, cause that spirit, cause that reality of who I am in Christ to be manifest so that all might see and glorify you. I I know that is your heart. Our hearts echo that. We're praying that to the Lord. This passage, Paul is emphasizing the freedom that we have in Christ And now he's admonishing us to go on in the spirit of freedom and find Christ manifest in us. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, even though our text is actually going to be verses 24 through 26. But let's pick it up in verse 16. But I say, walk by the what? 
Walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another, to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now in verse 24, which is the beginning of our text here this morning, verse 24, if you take a look, you'll see that Paul describes the people that he's addressing in this letter. How does he describe them? Those who belong to Christ, right? Those who belong to Christ. Now, the gospel is that we've been set free, but not set free to be autonomous, a law unto ourselves. We've been set free from the dominion of sin in order to enter the freedom of slavery to Christ. Now we belong to a new master. It's a more radical freedom than autonomy. It is true freedom to have the life of God in Christ. Do you know, friend, that you are not your own? Right? You were bought. You were paid for with a price. So you belong to God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. None of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live or if we die, we live and die to the Lord. We belong to him. We are Christ's. Would we rebel against the master whose service is nothing but joy and peace, happiness, That is self-deception indeed. We belong to Christ, right? He's identifying us as people who belong to Christ. And what he wants to do here in this text, what Paul is going to do, is, is that he's going to say two basic things about the people who belong to the Lord. Two basic things. Number one is this, that those who belong to Christ have died to the flesh and become alive by the Spirit. If you belong to Christ, 
you have died to the flesh and become alive by the Spirit. Notice verse 24. Take a look at your text again. This is what he's saying. This is what God wants us to know. That those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And in verse 25, he says, we live by the Spirit. Christianity is all about dying and rising again. Why wouldn't it be? That's the gospel. That's the story of our Lord, right? He laid down his life, he died, and he rose again and lives forever. This is the story of the Christian life, too, just as much as it is for our Savior. We walk the same path. We die, we rise again. And, of course, that is the future reality of which we are all assured in Christ because he followed the path of death and resurrection. All of those who are united to him, trust me, we're going to follow the path of death and resurrection one day. We will be raised up to immortal life, not this old mortal life subject to decay and death, but to an immortal life and to immortal bodies and to a life of righteousness made perfect, as the writer of Hebrews says, a perfection in righteousness and a perfection in body, enjoying the Lord forever. This is the path for God's people. One day, death and resurrection. But it's not only about the future, because look back at the text in verse 24 and see what Paul's referring to here, not primarily to our future death and resurrection, but to a present reality, something that's already in already the case for those who belong to Christ. We have crucified the flesh. Do you see that? Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. This links back or is paralleled by Romans chapter 6, which our brother read for us earlier. Romans chapter 6 teaches us that if we're Christians, we have been united to Jesus Christ in his death. That is, his death is our death if we're united to him by faith. Christ died in the flesh, in his natural body, and he was raised immortal. That is, in a spiritual body, not meaning that his body was immaterial, but he was raised in the power of the Spirit to the realm of spiritual things, to the realm of God. He died in the flesh, he was raised in the Spirit, and the Spirit of God unites us to Christ in his death so that we died in Christ, we died to the flesh. That is, if you're a Christian, you have died to who you were by nature. You've died to the flesh, to sin, to its dominion. Somebody who's dead 
is out from under all of the structures of this world. Someone who's died to the flesh is out from under the dominion of sin, even out from under the dominion of death. He is delivered from, as Paul says here, from the passions and desires, the sinful passions and desires of the flesh. This is the objective reality of all who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, if you belong to Christ, you are free from sin. You've died to sin. You are alive in Christ Jesus such that his life, his life and his spirit are manifest in us. This is what we call regeneration. We're born again. We're made alive. We're brought to life from the dead. This is our, this is the objective reality of our death to sin in Christ Jesus. It's done. But there is also then a subjective experience of that reality of being dead to sin. There is a subjective experience of that reality that we strive to know more of. Amen? Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Let's put that verse up on the screen. I think, I think we've got it. Philippians 3, 10. Let me just say it again. I may know him. This is, this is what I'm saying. This is, the, this is the subjective experience of death to sin. Just as there is an objective reality in our union with Christ, there is a subjective experience. Paul longed to know it more, more of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, more of the life of Jesus flowing through him, more of the sharing of Christ's sufferings, becoming like him in his death, dying to self, dying to sin. He says, I want to know more of that. And the next verse, he goes on and says that I may know him by, by any means possible. I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. What does Paul want? Paul wants what you want if you're a Christian to know in experience more of death to sin and self and the life of Jesus flowing through his veins, not his physical veins, but through his life, right? He wants to know more of that. And he said, I don't know it like I want to know it, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You see, striving for the subjective experience of Christ's life and holiness, pressing on to know Christ in his death and resurrection power, is always rooted in the objective reality that Jesus Christ has made me his own. As Paul says in Galatians, you belong to Christ. He has made me his own. So we not only have passages then 
in the New Testament that tell us you have died to sin. It's an objective fact. But we also have passages that tell us, hey, put your sin to death. As in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. People who spiritually are alive and who will have eternal life are people who are putting to death the deeds of their bodies, their old flesh. Now you have in the scriptures then not only the fact that this death and resurrection is done, but you also have commands to do, to put to death the old sin. But the do is always rooted in the done. Or as Paul says here, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Or another way to say it is, I'm striving for experiential holiness, but that holiness is rooted in my resting in the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. We never want to, we never want to rip those things apart. We always want to keep the one, the striving for the experience of holiness resting on and rooted in the perfect, absolute righteousness of Jesus Christ given to me as an objective reality, my righteousness, the same yesterday and today and forever. All through the Bible, these things are are together like this, the one flowing out of the other. This is how Colossians chapter 3 has it as well. Paul says there in verse 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. And to that we say, amen. That's the objective reality. That's the imputed righteousness. That's the righteousness that's the same yesterday and today and forever. You, you're, you've died. Your life is hidden with Christ. But then look two verses later what he says. Therefore, he says, put to death what is earthly in you? There's the imperative that rests in the, in the indicative. It, the, the command that's rooted in what God has already done for us in Christ. But God forbid that we ever move away from what resting on what God has done for us in Christ and think that our salvation is going to depend on how good we are in, in, in living a life of some kind of holiness. But God forbid just as much that we say that we are resting in Jesus and never striving to know more of Christ in his death and resurrection life, his power over sin and all of the powers of darkness in our life. God forbid that there be anybody who should claim to be a Christian and live like that. Christians rest in the perfect righteousness of Christ and strive for the holiness that comes by the Spirit as he forms Christ in us. But in both cases, it is the righteousness of Christ. It is Christ for us on the one hand and Christ 
in us and through us, on the other hand, our hope is always and forever in Christ's imputed righteousness, but our longing is always and forever to know more of him in our experience in which we have, in which we die and live in Christ Jesus. Now in verse 26, he gives some concrete examples or instances of the kinds of fleshly passions and desires that he was talking about in verse 24 to which we have died and to which we are dying. He gives three. He says, let us not be conceited. Conceit is a form of selfishness, a kind of internal pride that says to myself when no one's listening, I deserve better than this. Conceit. And that is the root of so much sinful strife. It is Satan's tool for splitting marriages and families and churches. I want to tell you, friends, our master, our Lord and master stooped low, did he not? He took upon him the form of a servant. He endured abuse and rejection and mistreatment on our behalf. Are we somehow better than our master? More deserving of good treatment? God forbid that we become conceited in our minds and Christians also have put to death provoking one another, verse 26. And of course, that's exactly where egos lead. Egos end up provoking the other person. The conceit that's in the heart comes out to where neither one is willing to back down to be lowly, to just serve, to forbear, to forgive. A soft answer turns away wrath, right? But angry words provoke. They stir up strife. And wounded pride so often lashes out at others with provocation. Brothers and sisters, we have died to these things. We've died to that. We're alive in Christ to a whole new life. Not to be conceited, not to provoke one another. And likewise, we have died to envying one another. This secret sin hides in our hearts and minds. Envy, eating away at us from the inside. Envy is rooted in pride that counts other people's blessings instead of counting God's blessings to us. This is the kind of spirit that refuses 
to rejoice with those who rejoice and rather is fixated in bitterness that God's providence to me is not as sweet as his providence to her. This is the spirit of envy. And brothers and sisters, he says that these passions, these desires have been crucified. They've been crucified. You're no longer enslaved to them. I want to tell you that. Are you a Christian? You're not enslaved to that anymore. You're set free. So live like it. Live like those who are free. Consider yourself dead in sin, dead to sin, and alive unto righteousness. Reckon that to be true. Believe it until it becomes your experiential reality. Go on in faith, holding on to Christ. There's a second main thing in this text that Paul wants to communicate. The spirit of our Lord Jesus wants to communicate to all of us this morning, and that is this. He wants us to know how our new spiritual life uh, comes into practice in our experience, and he gives it to us in verse 25. How does our death and new life in Christ become part of our actual experience in life? How? And his answer is this. If we live in the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. He says if you're regenerated, if you're alive by the Holy Spirit, then walk in the Spirit. We all know that we shouldn't be conceited. We shouldn't be contentious and we shouldn't be envious. We all know verse 26, yes, that's not the way I want to be. But every one of us cries out in our hearts, but oh, how... How? And his answer is just this. Walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? What we saw earlier. Keep in step with the Spirit. It's actually a little bit of a different word than the earlier word in verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Um, It's a very picturesque word translated here in the SV, keep in step. And I think that's probably a pretty good translation. The word seems to have almost military connotations, regiment. Uh, It's a very regimented word, uh, like a military march is regimented. Um, You've seen pictures of military troops marching down the street and All of their feet are in perfect sync with each other. Their stride is exactly the same length. Their right legs lift at the same time their left legs do, and they march in step. They march in sync. That's the idea here. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. One of the ancient Roman military authors recognized the importance of, quote, constant practice of marching quick together. Nor is anything, he said, of more consequence either on the march or in the line than that they should keep their ranks with the greatest exactness 
For troops who march in an irregular and disorderly manner are always in great danger of being defeated. And so it is spiritually for those who are out of step with the Holy Spirit, whose lives are not mirroring the Spirit of God moving according to his leading, right? These are all, this is all language of the scripture, whose lives are not controlled by the testimony of the Spirit of God. Their lives are disorderly. Their lives are full of fleshly passions and desires. Walk in step in a line, in a row, following the leader who sets the pace. I think I told you before, when I was a kid, we used to go to the air shows out in Phoenix at Luke Air Force Base and watch the uh, watch the planes, look at the old planes, and watch the, the Thunderbirds, the Air Force Thunderbirds, fly in formation. And it was fascinating. There were sometimes three, four, five, six planes uh, all flying in tight formation, just you know, feet from each other going hundreds of miles an hour, ripping across the sky and moving as one. And the way that they could do that was intense training to follow the leader. And every move he made to be mirrored in this in this perfect choreography of of, of military power and might, right? And it was it was so uh, careful, carefully uh, woven together that uh, many years ago, back in 1982, this was the last year they're actually flying the T-38s before they switched to the F-16s, and there was a huge accident, the worst Thunderbird disaster ever. The lead pilot's control stick malfunction and the other pilots were trained so intently to visually cue off that lead aircraft that they all of them hit the desert floor together. And that is an incredibly tragic thing, but it is the kind of military precision that's embedded in this word that makes it possible to have such feats of unity. And and it's what God intends for us to, um, it's the kind of unity God intends for us to have with Christ by His Holy Spirit, that we're walking in lockstep with the Spirit, that when the Spirit prompts, we move. When the Spirit restrains, we pull back. Oh, just imagine if every time the Spirit led, you responded perfectly. You know what? That would be the life of Jesus Christ lived out in full. And oh, with Paul, we say, oh, that I may know more of that. And others might see and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about cultivating a moment-by-moment sensitivity to God. The God who dwells in your body. Learning to obey every inner prompting that is truly spirit-born. I don't want to just uh, finish by suggesting some practical applications regarding what it means or what it looks like in some way to 
walk in step with the Spirit. And I think in the first place it means filling your mind with the Spirit's words. Filling up your mind with the Spirit's words. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Right? Natural people think naturally. Just whatever comes to them by nature. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on what? On the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the Spirit, you ask? Well, Paul uses the exact terminology in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 to talk about the apostolic testimony that is found for us in the Holy Scriptures. This is the Spirit's testimony. This is the things, these are the, these are the things of the Spirit. Right? What do we call the Scripture? The sword of the Spirit. Who inspired this? What holy men were moved as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Spirit. This is the word of the Spirit for every one of us. And keeping in step with the Spirit involves letting our minds be filled with the Spirit's words. And, 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 and being filled up with the Spirit, almost to the, like, the point of where, where a person would be filled and inflamed with alcohol and into a state of drunkenness. I mean, that's the way God wants us to be. Not drunk with wine, but drunk with the Spirit. Like, we're, we're not in control. It's like we're under the influence. Under the influence of the Spirit of Christ. In fact, in that passage, Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul says, be, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The parallel passage to that in Colossians, do you know what it says? In place of be filled with the Spirit, it says this, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. See, the Spirit, there is an intimate, intimate connection between the Spirit and the Word. So, We say to the Spirit, Spirit of God, control me. And he might say, as it were to us, what instruments shall I use to control you? You have furnished your mind with no instruments for my work. So fill your mind with his words Because that's what he takes. That is literally what he takes to use to control you. How many times have you, have you, you've been shaped in a moment of decision by the Spirit of God literally bringing a word of God to your thinking? Right? Say, oh, I want to, I want to know more of that. But I know that is the way he works. He takes his words and he prompts our thinking with those words. So we fill our minds with the words of the Spirit. Some Christians think that the Holy Spirit's just going to somehow magically transform them into Christ-likeness without ever 
laying hold of the means of grace that the Spirit uses. He uses his words. I want you to walk away today determined to do one more thing or to do one thing better to get more of God's word at home in you. Maybe it's uh, that you're going to walk away determined to be more earnest in hearing sermons. That you're going to stop sitting there, talking with a friend, or daydreaming, or just scribbling on your paper, and listen carefully to the words of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it means that you're going to walk out of here today determined to put yourself under more of the preaching of the Word of God, renewing your commitment to gather together with us on the Lord's Day, on the Lord's Day afternoon, or on Wednesday, for our Lord's Supper. Maybe it means that you're going to walk out of here determined to pick up your Bible reading again. And what once you were making earnest use of the copy of the Bible in your own house, of all things, you have you have uh, forgotten what a treasure it is. Forgotten the way that the Lord Himself uses it. Maybe it means you're going to walk out of here determined to invest in memorization of these words, putting them into your heart and mind so that they are there at a moment's notice. I mean, you don't even have to pick up a copy of the Bible. The Spirit already has the sword close at hand. And when you are going in a wrong way, He's got enough to to jab you. You say, whoa, I feel it. I hear it. Yes, Lord. Right? Maybe it means you're going to walk out of here determined to get a good study Bible and to really begin to try to dig in a little bit deeper than just reading over the surface of some words and checking off a box, but really trying your best to understand and grapple with what the Spirit has revealed. Or maybe it means that you're going to get out and begin this afternoon a good Bible-saturated book that will drive you back into the Scripture and your thinking, meditating on the Word of God. Hear, friends, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Keeping in step with the Spirit means constantly praying by the Spirit as well. It means constantly praying by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What happens when the Spirit of God really gets a hold of someone? He moves him to pray. The Spirit and prayer go together. Prayer and the Spirit 
I don't know which is the cause and which is the effect. They all, they work together in the grace and the goodness of God. Spirit-filled people, people who walk in step with the Spirit are people who are praying. And here's the way Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. You know it. Pray what? How? Without ceasing. You want to know what it looks like to walk by the Spirit, to take every step with the Spirit? It looks like praying without ceasing. If that were possible, I mean, that's what it would look like. Praying every moment of every day. Yeah, you can't really do that, can you? Yes. If you, if by that you mean I'm hands folded and bowing over my workbench, then no. But to be constantly living your life prayerfully every moment of every day. Is that possible? You know, I I feel so many times like uh, with regard to walking by the Spirit and 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 praying without ceasing that I'm uh, I feel that I'm in, in elementary school, um, but I've learned enough to know that it's sweet, it's good, and I just want a whole lot more of it. And walking like that, you don't sin. You just Don't give in to the flesh. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks, he says, verse 18, in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. The Spirit works in connection with prayer. What does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? Spirit, it means to be led by the Spirit, by the Word, to pray all throughout the day to be constant, to walk with God all day long, as Brian was praying earlier, to pray throughout the day repeatedly and pray often, sometimes at length and sometimes just in a moment, Lord, thank you. Lord, give wisdom. Lord, guide me. But to be living your life in the awareness of the presence of God going through the day alongside of him in constant thankfulness, even when you're crushed under the weight of life to make your groanings to God in the Spirit and to do it more and more without ceasing. Walk in step with the Spirit. I think it also means cultivating a sensitivity and a responsiveness to the Spirit's promptings in your mind. To walk in step with the Spirit is to cultivate, and you can cultivate this, to cultivate a sensitivity and a responsiveness to the Spirit's promptings in your mind. Romans chapter 8, we read it earlier, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Their minds are captivated by the Spirit. They're thinking the Spirit's thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Friends, our minds, the Bible often calls it our heart, but our mind is the control center of our lives. As Proverbs chapter 4 says it, it's the spring of life. Almost every battle you face, 
spiritually will be, first of all, a battle in your mind. So walking in step with the Spirit is cultivating a sensitivity to the Spirit's promptings and leadings in our minds, and then a spirit of responsiveness to the Spirit. That sensitivity means learning to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit whenever your train of thought, so to speak, is getting off the wrong track. And cultivating a sense of awareness of the Spirit is learning to hear the Spirit saying to you, stop, it's the wrong way to think. And learning to hear it earlier and earlier and earlier as you begin to exercise the passions and the desires of the flesh. That's the sensitivity part. And then learning to cultivate the responsiveness. That's learning to not only hear the voice of the Spirit, but to learn how to get the train of our thinking back onto the right track. How to reorient our thinking to think God's thoughts after him. How to be renewed in the spirit of our minds by meditating, by quoting, by prayer, by doing actively the things that we know God wants us to do, by removing ourselves from the place of temptation, by learning to be responsive to the Holy Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit take control of every single thought, not a renegade soldier behind the lines. Because if you let that thought go, it will wreak havoc to command and control. And you'll be in a place that you never wanted to be. Oh, there's so much more, but, you know, walking in the Spirit, in step with the Spirit means not only, and I shouldn't make it all negative, it doesn't mean not only, it means not only staying away from sin, but positively doing what the Spirit prompts you to do. Saying what needs to be said. Saying what the Spirit tells you to say. Doing what the Spirit tells you to do. After a day of really, really busy ministry, Jesus, confronted by his disciples about not having eaten, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And what a, what a sustaining thing it is. You've experienced this, I know. When you have lived a day of, responding positively to the promptings of the spirit to do and to say what you what what Christ would have you do and say in that moment it's it's like food from heaven walking in the spirit means means something for all of life not just for the quote-unquote spiritual part of our life for Sundays the spirit has a will for you for how to talk for what to eat for how to use your time, for how to spend your money. Following the Holy Spirit is a holistic thing. And obedience in one area often breeds obedience in another because it's, it's all the same thing that is learning to walk in accordance with the teaching, the prompting of the Holy Spirit and learning Walking in the Spirit and step with the Spirit means learning the tremendous power of habit in following the Spirit. You know, those soldiers marching in formation? 
That didn't just happen overnight. Some of you have been there. Some of you were made to uh, learn to march in formation. And it was drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled into you. Combat teams carefully choreograph even the clearing of a building. Everybody has a function. Everybody has a place to go and a movement to make. And it takes hours of hours and hours of practice so that it's second nature, so that so that the people don't have to think about it when it's time to march or when it's time to work, when it's time to do the mission. And so it is with learning to hear and obey the Spirit of God. That can be learned, amen? It can be learned more consistently to where it becomes for us almost second nature. That is our new nature. In all of this, of course, we're talking not about just obeying rules um, or doing rituals. The Christian life is about walking in communion with God. That's why it's given to us in language like this. Keep in step with the Spirit of God. Listening to Him, talking to Him, being led by Him, not grieving Him, not resisting Him, not quenching His work. And The more we yield to His promptings, the more sensitive we will be to His further promptings. It is ongoing, one step at a time, one day at a time. And I just want to encourage you tomorrow... When you get up, get up and pray and yield your members to God as instruments, as channels for the Spirit to form Christ in you. Give Him your mind. Give Him your tongue. Give Him your hands. Give Him your feet. Say to Him, God, I am dead to sin. Let me experience your life being lived out in me. Help me to know the fellowship of your suffering, dying to self and sin, and to know the power of Christ Jesus' resurrection. Help me to walk this whole day in step with the Spirit, sensitive to His every prompting. It is this life in the Spirit by which Christ lives through you. And if that's the case, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will live out the life of Christ. May God school us, teach us in this school of the Spirit what it means to walk in step with His presence. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the grace of Your indwelling Spirit and we, we confess we know what it is to have grieved your spirit. We are ashamed of that. We desire to be in step with your spirit. That we might know communion with Christ, communion with you. That's joy for us, Lord. So your people have come today to hear, but what we really need for you to do is not only teach us in this hour, but to teach us every day of this week. So we pray right now for the continued 
outpouring of your Holy Spirit, that you would take control of us. Right now, we want to tell you together, Lord, as your people, that we yield to you. We happily yield to your Spirit. We pray it in Christ Jesus' name.